and you're live on Dead Radio. Yo, yo, everybody. This is another show of Dead Radio. What's your main man? Bang is dead. Proud by the beautiful guys that play energy drink. Shot at Black Brick. Very different uh, setting today, obviously. But I think it's pretty dope. You should think it's dope too. But anyway, um, we've got a special guest. You already know we only have special guests. Um, before I get into it, I'm gonna just share a couple of things with you, right? We don't introduce our guests. Um, our guests introduce themselves so that people understand who they think they are on their minds. Um, that camera's for me, that camera's for us, that camera's for you. Okay. But essentially, I want us to have a conversation whereas there's no cameras involved. I don't, at some point we're gonna ignore the cameras. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it's not an interview, it's just a conversation. Sure. Um, so yeah, you're gonna go ahead, you're gonna introduce yourself, tell us who you are, um, what do you do, and then we'll just take it from there. Cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm Adlao Malachi. Uh, you might call me Advocate Katlao Malachi. Yes, Advocate. Uh, yeah, I'm Katlao Malachi. I'm an entertainment lawyer, yeah. entertainment law specialist, uh, currently head up legal and business affairs at Sony Music Africa. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm a founder at uh, Homecoming Events, uh, founder TaylorMade Legal Solutions, uh, chairman of the board, the Homecoming Foundation. Okay. Uh, yeah, double in business. I'm an entrepreneur. All right. I've got uh, Zanzu. I saw that dope, dope, yeah, dope. Yeah, I've got other business investments. We'll get into that because I'm very keen to know. But anyway. Space. Yeah. I'm That's dope. Shout out. I'm a legal entrepreneur. Good to meet you. <laughs> um, first and foremost, obviously, I want to talk a bit about your background. Well, I want us to talk a bit about your background. Yeah. Just to kind of get an idea of where you're from because obviously that is a very fundamental stage in everyone's life which contributes to who they are today mm -hmm. so where did you grow up uh where were you born and then we just really just flow from there sure uh, i was born in a village sorry village it's a township called uh, Linyane. okay in Sanin, Limpopo. okay uh yeah i spent my formative years in Polokwane. Okay. Flora Park and then Valgelechen. I did grade one, grade two, grade three. Okay. In Polokwane. I then we moved to Pretoria as a family in grade four. Okay. I uh, went to Watercliffe Christian School, moved to Glenstansha Primary School and then I did my high school at Woolridge High School in Pretoria. Okay. So yeah. So you've been in Pretoria half your life? Yeah, I've been in Pretoria pretty much all my life, really, you know, since yeah. the age of 10, I've been in Pretoria. And would you say, would you say, let's say Limpopo, because I don't know you actually from Limpopo, because I'm from um, Limpopo myself, which is like, I'm not necessarily weird, because I feel like, um, I personally don't necessarily like talking about where I'm from. Why? Because like, I don't think it really is important. It's important from a mental perspective, but from a public domain purpose, I don't think it really set any types of importance. Like, and 
I do definitely say I'm from Pretoria because it's Pretoria. Um, yeah. That's where a lot of my um, aesthetic and design process really stems from in terms of the style that I grew up around. Um, so when, let's say Limpopo, would you say Limpopo is what introduced you to the like, entertainment space or is it more Pretoria? It's definitely Pretoria, but it's always going to be very important. And if you look at a lot of the moves, especially from homecoming and homecoming's ties to Limpopo, and yeah, yeah, all the picnics we've done in Pretoria, in, in Polokwane, that transition, yeah, the fontaines that we now do there, uh, and just the general relationship between Polokwane and Pretoria. Uh, those have been very important in terms of, you know, at homecoming when we define our core crowd, our core audience, mm -hmm. we include Limpopo, Limpopo, right. in particular, because um, the ties are there, and I, I, I believe a lot in um, the roots. Right. You know, so my statement might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I believe in it a lot. Uh, your, okay. your organic growth needs to be founded somewhere right 100 um, percent any any business you're in especially when you're selling products you need to have a a core market mm -hmm. and that base is what you build on top of and so pretoria is a large part of my story but um Bolokwane is always going to be the focal point you know they're in it it's part of those formative years of my life which i came back to to draw support from in the right long run. Um, right I also think if you look at Limpopo in general, you know, the strong Pedi, Tsonga, vendor presence, uh, which forces one to learn to navigate different tribes, different settings, yes. learn different languages. Um, I've got a very strong Tsonga uh, lineage on, right. on my mom's side, very strong Pedi, Vulovedu lineage on my, on my dad's side. And I speak all 11 languages, and that starts... Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that starts President in, 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 in Limpopo, you know, learning right. to navigate, learning to, to, to live with people, uh -huh. Uh -huh. get out of your comfort zone. So, yeah. But, yeah, Pretoria, through and through. Pretoria right. boy. Uh, yeah, been there since I was 10. High school. Which high school you go to? Willowridge High School. Okay, university. Um, yeah, University University of Pretoria. So you've been like Pretoria, like really yeah. your um, whole life. Basically. I've been in Pretoria. Uh, I'm gonna raise my kids in Pretoria. <laughs> so yeah. I'm so what did you study? Bro. I think that's very important. Well, obviously law. Yeah, LLB. I did my LLB at the University of Pretoria. Ever think about changing? Or did you ever think about changing? No, I was always going to study law. Okay, why? Uh, my dad's an advocate. Okay, okay. Yeah, so okay. my dad's an advocate. He's somebody I, I look up to greatly. We'll park the fact that I never got into maths. And I think once you never, once you don't get into maths, your yeah. options <laughs> limit out a little bit. But yeah. um, I, was, I, I always wanted to be, you know, uh, a legal professional. You know, right. I wanted to be like my dad, an advocate, get into all of that. Excuse me. So, yeah, study LOB. There was never two any two ways about it. I don't think I applied anywhere else for varsity. Right. So you exactly you yeah. knew exactly knew where I wanted to go. I knew exactly what I wanted to study. So I'm I'm guessing because you're in law or you're studying law, um, you 
was likely into politics? I was very much into politics. Uh, I grew up loving politics. I, I loved history in school. Mm -hmm. I was actually the top history pupil okay, in my okay. matric year. So I loved history. And when I got to the University of Pretoria, I was very involved uh, in the non-academic space. So okay. lots of societies. Uh, I was a founding member of COPE, the Congress of the People. What do you mean? Uh, like, no joke. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually chaired the <laughs> provincial students. Like, no joke. Yeah, literally. As in politics. Because that's so big. I mean, it's, it's big because, okay, I obviously, I follow politics because I feel like I have to. Yeah. Um, I feel like I have to because if I'm ever to be anything in this country, I need to understand which side my bread is buttered on. Yeah, you need to understand down. the political space. 100%. 100%. So, when you say COPE, I know COPE was one of the very few political parties at the time that were challenging ANC. Yeah. yeah. Um, they had a very strong base, obviously, till they fell apart. Um, and before we head into anything else, I just want to know, why do you think they fell apart? Because you, you were in the inside. Oh, no, I was there. I know exactly why they fell apart. Uh, I mean, a lot of why the EFF succeeded mm -hmm. was based on the fact that Julius and them were there when Cope was destroyed. So Cope was like killed off on a Trojan horse okay. type, type basis where guys came in saying, hey, we're here to help out, whereas they were actually there to ensure that Right. It doesn't take off, and that's why you know people say uh, Julius is a dictator. And I say, well, if you're going to start a political party, you need to have a certain degree of dictatorship in you because it's very easy for people to steal that right. away from you. And I mean, they were there; they saw it with Cope, and they weren't going to let it happen to the EFF. Of course, but yeah, of course. I was Cope. Uh, I was the secretary general so in our copia we That's nuts, penetrated the <laughs> elections and yeah we uh i was on the src okay yeah so i was the secretary general of the src okay uh sat on the university council sat on a couple of bodies there yeah, That's I was mad. quite quite That's heavily so involved, quite heavily involved in politics. So uh, before we carry on everything else, last thing, um, based on your knowledge of politics, because I've got an understanding of what's currently happening in the country, mm. what is your views? Um, maybe let me share my views before you say yours. I think what's happening right now is like what you said. It's like a Trojan horse thing happening to the ANC. I feel like. There's certain elements in the ANC that have penetrated. Um, obviously, I'm not going to mention any names. I mean, you, you should. <laughs> you should, because what do you mean? What do you mean by that? <laughs> what do I mean by that? Okay. 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 But I get into deep politics, right? Yeah. What I mean by that is um, I always look at the media. I think the media for me is a compass when it comes to politics. Mm -hmm. um, and the Zuma or former president Jacob Zuma's uh, times showed me that how he was publicized and how the media had to push only one narrative and they really focused on solely one narrative and then now we've got another president in the same political party but the narrative has completely changed the narrative has completely changed the media is talking a different language the media isn't pinpointing this one person um, or even the political party at, at hand right now. And right now it's even more vicious because of the COVID-19 thing where all these things are unraveling. But 
we're still not blaming one guy and like how the Zuma um, yes everything load shedding it's Jacob Zuma there's a pothole in the road Jacob Zuma and then now there's a pothole in the road let's blame the municipal uh, of Twani um, mm. because of that so that has given me an idea of like okay the ANC has been infiltrated respectfully by Cyril. Cyril is potentially, possibly backed by whoever wanted to gain whatever it is. Oh, that's that's a narrative in and of itself. Okay. What do you mean by that? That's a that's a media narrative in and of itself. True. Uh, True. Exactly how you've laid it out. That's a narrative. But that's now there's like more than one narrative. And and the reality is the truth will always stand and the truth will always stand the test of time, right? Yes. It will outlive every narrative. I think for me, um, I guess you never really know. Yes. Uh, you, you, you pick what you believe and you sort of run with that. But I am very much cautious against the narrative of that nature. Okay. Because you would need to demonstrate to me and so i always ask the question i say so the moment you say uh somebody's penetrated or you know and these terms come up um white monopoly capital yeah. and stuff you need to demonstrate to me at which point in a mandela or a becky or a zuma presidency the status quo was different yes so if somebody says hey man you know, we had black capital running the country for nine years and then Cyril came and all of a sudden, you it's know, that's gone. Right. And somebody drives the Stellenbosch narrative for me. It's kind of like, okay, if these guys, are you saying this has been the case from 1994 till now? Then why do you seek to separate Cyril from everybody, everybody else? else? Okay, okay. So okay. if that has been the case, unless you can demonstrate actively to say to me, things changed, things were right, different, numbers. you know, right, they, right. so I, I'm very cautious against uh, theories, conspiracy yes. theories. I think at the end of the day, everybody is responsible for their own narrative through their actions. A hundred percent. And it's, it's your actions which we can judge you on, not your intentions or your theories or your sloganism. Um, it's how you act. That's how you act. So you, anybody can jump up and shout and say, you know, I'm radical economic transformation or I'm pro-capital. But what do you do when the tools of power are in your hand? Right. Because that's what must tell my that that's what must tell me what you truly right. believe in. So that I, I I prefer to judge people on their actions as opposed to their words. Okay. Yeah. Which is completely fair. So what do you think, the st what's the state of the country in, 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 in your perspective, or the state of the nation? I think our democracy is fairly young, but I think it's passed a lot of tests. Even if we look at, you know, the current turmoil and everything, yeah. and you know, how it's been approached, kind of like, okay, this is a strong democracy. When you look at anything, whether you want to call it the, the state, capture inquiry or whatever it's kind of like okay democratic democratic rule hasn't lost its its way its way it hasn't lost its power which is uh reassuring from a country at large and politics will always be politics right right so is so right is it who knows but um 
is the constitution safe? Is the, the rule of laws, democracy safe? They're still safe and in that respect then let the show go on. Let everybody do what they need to do. Let everybody okay. prove themselves. Let the electorate go to the polls. Right. If they disagree. It's easy to sit on social media and... Um, Thread. Yeah, I, <laughs> you know, we can come up with a hypothesis around what we think is happening or what should be happening. But then let every man take his vote and... See who comes out on top. Drive his narrative, yeah. Right, let's, let's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Cool. Clearly you have a political background. Uh, um, so now, from politics, how the hell... While you're doing politics, while you're still studying, how do you get into the events? Sure. So, I mean, I've, I've probably told this story like a million times. I'll try to paraphrase it. So, first year, <laughs> got together, you know, we got time. <laughs> first year, get together for a, a picnic. I'm going to set up a, a picnic, uh, almost a send-off picnic. Right. Because uh, we're all going to varsity. We're going to different varsities. Yes. So, I have a small picnic, about 12 people, friends, uh, SMS. Hey guys, was it ever like a political thing? No, no, no. Just no. So I, I wasn't in politics yet. Uh, I only got into politics when I was in school. Okay. So okay. in varsity. Right. So uh, you're telling me the events thing happened prior to varsity. So at the beginning of varsity. Okay. And it's it, and it wasn't an events thing. It was literally just a get together. Like, right. Let's get together. We're not going to see each other and. Uh, I think it even rained the first day we tried it and all it took was an SMS like, hey guys, okay, not today, this right. Friday. And so it then became a, a sort of tradition in the sense that every time we'd come back from varsity for break, because we're from Pretoria and, you know, guys are going to UCT. and So every time we'd come back from break, we'd get together at the Botanical Gardens for right. a picnic and that's where the name Homecoming. Homecoming. Everybody was coming home uh, right. for varsity break and it picked up over over time. You know, guys would go to different universities, make different friends. I went to Tux, made new friends and we'd all Did come back with 100% and we'd come back with our friends and we'd come back with our friends until eventually it was a, a movement of right. sorts, you know. Um, and I know initially, you know, there were talks about commercialized this thing, commercialized this thing, and I said, no, it's, it's, that's not what it's about. Right. Uh, and, you know, by the time we got to 2010, it was quite a fixture on our social calendar, like right. picnic, picnic, picnic. And the opportunity presented itself to then go full on, you know, commercial. And that's when I met uh, Neo Muela. So I joined Tax Rag. Uh, really? Tax Rag was pretty big back then. Yeah. Used to host a lot of events. And that field kills out the street. Massive. And that's where I got to learn a, a, a lot more. Take a moment to be honest with myself Think I need some help, it's a cold world Plus I feel like I got nobody else Haunted by the feelings and emotions I felt In the days all day, life remains Some say what goes up comes down eventually My love for you sort of felt like therapy I've been thinking about you, wonder if you care for me Trip fell in love, now I move carefully Same old blunt smoking, soft spoken When signs start showing, take notice Feel love in the way I vibrate My 
energy pure, never violate My time came by the half an hour late But I still stay patient, I'll find a way Or I'll make a way It's a toss up, they know that it's all us Fell off, got back up, then I bossed up, yeah If you know all the pain that it cost us Give it all, lost, everything is hard luck And I wouldn't change a thing, man, it's all Yes, gotta get dark so you see where all the stars are Yeah, I thought we moving slow But time has a way of making someone Somebody you don't know And that's the way I feel, that's how it go Yeah, we moving forward while we dancing in reverse now Forget the past, you're still the present What dream can work and without you in it I guess the cosmos got you figured When they said you wasn't in it Time goes slow, goes slow Yeah, you acting new like somebody I don't know, yeah When the time got me broken But the summertime felt like a spring solstice Long as summer that we fell in love Like growing a flower that hadn't seen up above Yeah, the type of love that had me sprung This the type of shit they wish for but never wrong Yeah, yeah And I'm better now, what can I say? This water has washed your memories away Grateful for your love For growing the flowers I hadn't seen up above For growing, for making all of them wishes come true Got many regrets, baby, them regrets you And you're live on Dead Radio So how did you meet now and obviously I think there's always a question I personally ask myself, like how, like, because half the time when I've ever interacted with, let's say, Homecoming back then, because you're not with, well, you are with them, but you're not with them right now, um, you are always like the point of communication. So always like kind of try to kind of decipher it as to how did you guys meet and what basis was the communication on, what and what part he plays sure. in the actual um, thing. So now. <laughs> Um, my now wife yes. was also on rag. Uh, I met a, her that's on, a, yeah, that's a flex. <laughs> so I met my wife on rag, and now was a year behind me academically. So when I left rag, I had to leave rag to get into politics. Okay. Um, I left rag, and my wife became the vice chairperson of rag and Nero became a committee member of RAG. So I actually met him when he came for his interview. Right. And eventually he became my wife's PA. Okay. In RAG. Right. And that's where we met and chat, and he was a Red Bull ambassador <coughs> at the time. And so, you know, he drove this narrative like, yo, 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 let's go commercial, let's go commercial. Oh, you know, I want to work with you. And I said, mm, if you want to work with me, throw a picnic of your own. Okay. Hmm. It's it. So it's like a test because you know people say stuff all the time, and for me it's well, kind of like, to act. yeah. And it, so I said, okay, cool. Let's put it to the test. And I said, Koi, a picnic of your own. And we we're very anti-music back then. Right. Picnic was just people, baskets, the voices, just, just vibes. Just, yeah. 
and he then got you know the Red Bull truck and everything and he actually hosted there was a lady Corrie Shukrani who Corrie Potkitter now uh, she was a rag queen debutante and she was trying to raise funds for charity okay and so she partnered with Neo and they did this fundraising and you know he got like the Josh and the guys and I remember I popped in for like 30 minutes and I looked around and I said Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you did it. Yeah, I was sold. Yeah, yeah, you did it. So, okay, cool. Of course you did it. Let's have a conversation. Yeah, let's get together. And there was a lady, Kirota Kakana, uh, who was very close with Kulichana and a couple right. of celebs at the time. And so because the first one they were done was charity, we then decided, okay, we're going to do a charity picnic in the dead of winter. Um, and the whole idea behind making it a charity one was because we were now going to do our first switch okay. to music. Okay. And there was like heavy pushback because this thing was based and built on people. So yes. everybody had a say. It was my picnic, but it wasn't my picnic. Anymore. It was yes. our it's picnic. So yeah. we make, we pick the dates together. We, you know, guys, what's a good date? What's, and so we're going to have this music picnic and Kulichana is going to come. Okay perform and did you guys have budget at that point in time no so it's just based on relationships no yeah Kiroti had the relationships we you know had the infrastructure like well, in terms of the movement and narrow and connects uh, from a sponsorship perspective and yeah we put it together right uh, we did it as a fundraiser for a, fund, a charity two charities in Mamilodi okay uh, so all the money we made, we bought, you know, food, clothes and stuff. And that's how our working relationship started. Right. Uh, and, you know, Cooley came through at DJs. Uh, and yeah, and it, it took off. People liked it. It, it right. went well and there. And that's so when the switch came. And That's when you guys felt like, okay, now we're onto something with this music thing. Yeah. Assuming. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's when people accepted the music thing and we started going. And, you know, we built it from there. We were still in varsity. Um, so we just utilized our networks. We both Pretoria boys. He went to right. CBC, and we we pushed it along. We we pushed it along, and it grew to what it is today. Yeah, it built momentum, and you know, grew, grew, grew. And were you ever shot at the hard group? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think the real turning point, and that's where an intersection between the politics and the entertainment came, was. Uh, tax rag spring bash used to be a huge fixture on the tax calendar or yeah, on the general social calendar, yeah, yeah, yeah. calendar and massive the one year i think it was 2011 i was secretary general of the src and the university had taken advantage of a moratorium on liquor licenses mm -hmm. so they did they just didn't apply for a liquor license for spring bash prior to the moratorium What's that? So moratoriums when there's like a freeze on liquor licenses. Okay. So they can't issue liquor licenses for okay. a set period. And they knew it was coming and they just kept quiet and they let the moratorium kick in. They said, okay, we can't have spring bash because mm -hmm. there's no liquor license. And, you know, we knew and we were fighting a lot of battles. That's mad political. Yeah, yeah, we were fighting a lot of battles against the university at the time. They wanted RAG to die down. We had our theories. We believed it was a anti-black sentiment and right. because rag was becoming more and more African and yes. there's just a lot of stuff happening at the time and so 
we pushed back, we hosted a strike. Um, yeah, it was quite a thing. But um, on the day of the strike, we, you know, I remember my dad, even the principal of the university called my dad that morning, kind of saying, yo, your son's planning a strike. I remember my dad called me and he said, <laughs> he says, look, the principal called me and she planning a strike. You, you need to stop whatever it is you're doing because you're going to get expelled. And I remember my mom eventually tells me the story. She says, he answers the phone. She tells him the story and he says, uh, where are you calling me from? And she says, um, at the university, I'm in my office. She says, do you know where I am? She says, no. She says, I'm also in my office. Uh, do you know where my son is? She says, no, I don't know. She says, probably also in his office. And, you know, put up a bare front to her and then he picked up the phone and called me 30 times and said, you need to stop <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> but it happened. And we then made a decision that day. We just had a picnic the week before. Right. And we made a decision that day that the next day we need to host a picnic. And so I remember we called Dirk, who ran Stones at the time. Yeah. We called Yanni, who ran Ties at the time. And, you know, guys get us some infrastructure, loan us, you know, right. lo a sound system, whatever. We're going to take this over together. Spring Bash and make it awesome. our thing. And we did it. Short notice, Kuli and them were supposed to perform at... I think my brother was actually, my little brother was head of Rag Farm at the time. Right. And so we then said, look, get all your artists that we're going to perform at the Rag Farm, Farm come perform yeah. us because we already paid them. So. So you guys got people for, to perform for free? Yeah. Essentially. 100%. So <laughs> we had it. So I mean, what a takeover. You've got all these tax kids, they want to go, well, kids from everywhere. They really. want to go off. They've already planned in the calendar. This is what we're doing this weekend. And so we set it up and it went. And, you know, we thought, wow, this is great. And I think later that year, somebody took our date at the Botanical Gardens. Okay. And we had to move to Harlequins. Right, uh, right. And we moved to Harlequins. Was that before or after the one in Centurion by the rugby club? It was before. So this was still small at Harlequins. Right. So it was like so many of you in the botanical gardens, but you get to Harlequins, it's big and it's like... Right. It's a, it's a bigger place. Yeah, it's like, what's going on here? <laughs> like intimidated, you know? like, yo. But we pushed on and the following year, September, 2012, September, we decided to move out to Centurion Rugby Club. And right. I can't tell you what happened. I have no idea till today what happened. But it had picked up a lot of organic sentiment. And yeah. I think that's why I always encourage people in business to say, you need to build your base. Because organic. there's a certain level of marketing that you cannot do for yourself. That's uh, human endorsement is, is going to be the greatest endorsement 100%. ever where people are becoming ambassadors. I mean, we used to chase people to attend the picnic in the botanical right. gardens. People I knew, my friends, like, yo, dog, please, 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 please right. come. I used to buy, I used to take my pocket money or my allowance from Housecom or from SRC and just buy drinks and say, dog, just come, you know, I've got you covered. Right. Just come and experience it. Just come and feel it because those turned out to be the greatest ambassadors. Once they tasted it, they didn't want, they wanted everyone else to 100%. taste it. 100%. Right. So, 
we got to September 2012 and I remember we didn't bath that day. We went to go set up uh, the venue and we thought, hey man, if we get uh, 3,000 people here, we good. Yo, we done. Like, <laughs> it's a wrap. It's too much. And when we were getting ready to go home and bath, because, you know, the event was mm -hmm. finally set up. I think we booked Lulo Cafe that day. That was our big act. We got to the door and the lines were... Massive. Pouring out onto what? the streets. The heart train was new. It was riding over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, People were literally just looking over, getting off the heart train, coming. I think Centurion, all the bottle stores ran out of liquor that day. What? That was about week accounted for about 9,000 people, but we estimated could have been anything up to 11,000 people. That's you know, so nice. People were just pouring in, jumping gates, jumping fences, and that's when we knew that this is a real thing. This is a real I mean, for me, I can tell you what literally happened on the ground. Um, like from, obviously, I'm gonna have a different perspective from you. Um, it was extremely organic. Um, and I think it was organic because at the at that time, I think for that time, you guys were at the perfect place with the perfect team, with the perfect concept at the right time. Yeah. Um, because, I, I mean, Pretoria during that period was really bubbling under, like the culture of people, yeah. the nature of people going out, the people, the, the nature of people experiencing new things, the nature of people dressing different, the nature of everything really being different was at a, such a heightened level there. Because, I mean, that's the same year where Galaxy was at its highest prime. And, like, there was all of these things popping out of nowhere. And people were just extremely hungry for anything that had talkability. Fresh. I think yeah. the, the main thing around that time was talkability. Um, and we had, a, I mean, we, we were introduced by Homecoming, and I want to say we as like a group of friends of mine. We used to call our Vinny boys back then. And remember we were chilling with some ladies, and they were like, yo, are you guys going to Homecoming this weekend? And like, what? What's Homecoming? And they're like, no, dad. You guys don't know what's homecoming? Homecoming. And that's when we had to familiarize ourselves. Like, yo, what the hell is this homecoming? And the fact that it came from women we thought were out of touch with what's going on on the ground and we in, in touch. Yeah. How the fuck do they know and we don't? So we had to experience it. And I remember getting there and it was just like a, it was like an explosion, man. It was like an explosion of culture, an explosion of expression. Like a lot of people were actually out to have a good time. Like it was a very different type of event that we were that we had all experienced because we're in a different location, but with the same people that we see in the other locations, all in one space, yeah. and no one has any beef. Everyone is just trying to have fun, trying to have a good time. I don't even remember seeing a fight there or anything of that nature. Like it was just like really good times, which yeah. is unheard of. Yeah, there's obviously one or two, three or four, but it's it's how it's how you you handled it and it's how you curated the space but i also think it's a lot in the investment we put into the event even at that stage right we we didn't cut corners we had our jock files we had security companies hired we had and i think it's that sort of diligence at that stage in those early days that allows the environment to grow yeah because yeah. 
safety, security, comfort. I mean, we learned a lot of things very early when people came, realized, oh, shucks, there's not enough toilets. So the next show, we're not, or after this show, it's not about let's box all the money. It's kind of like, okay, when we host the next show, you need to make sure there's enough toilets, there's enough security guards. People need to always feel safe and safe and comfortable right. to be able to express themselves right and so and that's what we based the company on uh consumer centrism it's always consumer centric so when you look at all our subsequent properties from there whether you go to uh us hosting uct big bash or Tony fontaine or you look at us in polokwani it's always been consumer centric and that's why we never hit profit targets early like we didn't make the event would make profit but we never made personal profit because it was always about reinvesting it in into the infrastructure the experience the infrastructure to make sure because once you can capture the heart of a consumer you've, you've got, got them forever 100% so and that's where people get around and talk about it that right. you can't beat that i mean we for a very long time didn't use hashtags on social media we wanted that organic talk we wanted to see people right. actually talking we didn't we, you know we said in the early days of hashtags we said yo we can't have we can't flood out and flush out the bad reviews we want to see them we want to see what people didn't like so, so that can we it. can fix it 100%. and that's what's going to keep us 100%. going and yeah man it's, it, it was quite a ride crazy ride and we we grew from just doing these little picnics to doing brand strategy marketing for corporates right you know we just based grew. on your experience or like yeah yeah because that we experience were, your portfolio prior to that and what you guys had managed to do 100% but right. you know we're on the ground we're in touch with the youth and we were not averse to learning okay to okay. being humble, to meeting people, hearing out people, that's what helped us to identify problems. So even for corporates, okay, we're struggling to speak to young people. We speak to young people quite well. Help us teach, teach us to understand your world a bit better right. so that we can then build this one thing the bridge, together. you know, right. for you to the young consumers. And yeah, man, I think it was also our, we're, We'll never take the credit. There's, a, there's like a lot of people whose hands were involved, but mm -hmm. we traded off. We helped a lot of events companies mm -hmm. start up. You know, when we went first, if we got sponsors, we'd go to guys, hey, these are sponsors. This is how you approach sponsors. Hey, this is Jock. This is what you do. This is how you do Jock. We'd work, I think we've worked at everybody's shows. Right. Why door, is that? Let's do door. Let, Number one, to understand things better. So we attend a lot of shows. Mm -hmm. We've, we still do, you know, benchmarking because you want to understand sometimes you want to put yourself in the consumer position. Yes. There's a lot of curators who are never consumers. Yes. And so they curate out of context. And out of touch, 100%. Whereas if I'm a consumer and I've been to a show and the bar was too slow or the toilets were dirty or you know, it was too to full, I know exactly how to curate a show for a consumer. But... We also believed in tapping into other people's networks. Yes. So we would invest our time and our efforts helping you grow and build your brand with the view and the hope that you would punt us to your people. And that's how we're able to amass people from 
so of many different right, right. walks of life because we would pour ourselves into we'd invest ourselves into other people's dreams right and as such they would do the same the same and so we then ended up getting a very strong and wide base right and that's where a lot of our success has been the ability to widen mm-hmm. the net so yes it's a it's a it's a pretoria pride type event but there's lots of people who identify with it there's lots of people who find it uh as a a space they can call their own right you know and and so you get guys get people from durban Mpumalanga, Polokwane, Joburg. totally get that totally get and yeah, that and that's how the brand you know, established. you know what i think you made a very good point um in terms of assisting other events companies and helping them start from the ground up because i have this one idea right uh not necessarily idea or this one concept and the or a theory let me put it like that it's a theory that in order for you know it's 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 it's, it's easy for you to make a million loan right especially if you're the let's say you're the only lawyer amongst a group of 50,000 people let's say a million people right it's very easy for you to be a millionaire however that's not any growth in the industry and at some point you're going to make money where you're going to hit the you're going to hit the roof because the industry isn't that big and there's no awareness that's being created for that industry so the more you cross-pollinate with other brands or have conversations and assist other brands in order to start now you're widening the the spectrum and now other people that are coming let's say from for arguments they're coming from Joburg to Pretoria to attend another event that is a homecoming event um a homing uh, next time there is a homecoming because they were at that one event they're more open to coming to homecoming and they actually appreciate it a lot more I think and that's why we were very intentional with Pretoria events yeah. and entertainers in particular and our involvement in the journeys of a lot of Pretoria entertainers, artists, events organizers, mm-hmm. anybody Pretoria who is moving in our space say how do we get behind this, how do we support this because when we came up we quickly realized something so at the time Pretoria especially from a middle class perspective wasn't really buzzing, wasn't an option yeah. for a lot of the sponsors kind of like okay cool shut so you guys you guys are dope, so we're gonna give you guys some money. Excuse me, but then we realized the budgets are capped uh-huh. for our space, and we said there's no way these budgets are gonna increase just for you homecoming. Alone. There needs to be multiple things happening in the city right. so that the money and the budget caps can increase. increase. And so we started working with everybody, getting them sponsor ready. Right. So that budgets targeted towards our region mm-hmm. could grow. So when we went to Polokwane, we would do the same thing. Chat to other people there. How do we introduce you to our connects? How do we so that the the pie can grow? Yes. Because if you're the only one eating, then there's no need for anybody to increase and there's not the pie. But as well. if there's yeah. if there's more people eating, the scope grows. It's gonna keep growing. And your ability also then. You shift, and that's how you get into things like strategy. Because now you realize, hey man, I'm servicing people, so it means you can be a servicer. I can service corporate. I can service anybody, and that's that. that yeah, yeah. That's, that's literally where you go from. Okay, yeah. cool. So homecoming happens, big event. You guys obviously start the uh, the company homecoming events. Yeah. Um, before we leave this event conversation, right? I, I, I'm really keen on knowing. At what point 
do you guys now start to think or start executing or conceptualizing having under event, uh, other events under homecoming events? Because you guys could have literally sat down on homecoming and let that be your cash cow forever. So sustainability, right? Yes. So we started picking up, number one, we were doing four picnics a year. Yes. And that was great until people had options. Yes. Right? So people would say, no, we're not going to go to the autumn one. We'll catch the September one. Mm -hmm. So the fluctuation was crazy. Mm -hmm. You'd get a picnic in April with 3,000 people and get a picnic in September with... 8,000 people right. and get a picnic in December with 5,000 people right. except your budgeting and your planning is the same, is the same yeah. across the board. The venues are same. 100%. Everything is the same. Everything so, is the same. so you were saying, okay, cool. It's fine. We've, we've, we've sweated this asset. Now we need to limit it. So we limited it to twice a year until we eventually got it down to once a year. Yes. What happens when you're dealing with once a year, sure, you can get a big payday but what are you doing throughout the year mm -hmm. how are you making money how is this going to be sustainable if you're talking about uh, not going a professional route and this is your life how are you going to make money you need frequency mm -hmm. and so when you start thinking frequency uh, or consistency you start thinking frequency so how then now do we start hosting other events how then do we start providing other services to maintain so the same frequency do you understand of yeah. income because yes. now you said okay cool let's open well we can say income and also talkability yeah, yeah but for us really that 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 was, was income the thing was income so how do we build some form of consistency so you know got two liquid people at the time and then say, okay, open a social media division. Let's get involved. So it was part of the initial, you know, promo people who, yeah. <laughs> who promote everything, music albums yeah. or whatever, just to get, 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 get a flow going. And I think, um, yeah, you start finding other gaps in the market and you start saying, okay, cool, there's Polokwani, okay, shop, there's something else to add to the calendar. How do we spread this? Right, right, right. Right, wide right, enough. right. Um, but yeah, and we weren't looking to make a living off of it at the time, mm -hmm. but we were planning for a time where if we did decide to make a living out of it, there was a living to be made. Right, right. Cool. You guys start having, you guys start tapping heavily into music. And by heavily is you guys now have an event where you give artists, well, you guys are like almost con creating a monopoly, um, <laughs> if you know what I mean, <laughs> where, where you have an event for artists to audition to be on your stage, which is a solid concept, really good concept, because that's like promotion for the actual main event, very solid. Um, now, I always thought, like, even when I heard that you went to Sony, I really highly thought you were in AR. Like, I was actually <laughs> not expecting what you were doing because a majority of the people that you guys, or that won these competitions, are our big names today. Which means whoever was on the panel of the judges has a really good ear and are basically visionaries. So now, how did you guys choose those people? Because I mean, you guys have four people that have been on your stages that I can call off the top of my head mm. that right now are household names. Mm. So how does that happen? So I think and one of, one, of, one of the biggest things people miss in marketing 
in entertainment mm -hmm. is sub sub markets. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So everybody wants to hit the main market, mm -hmm. but we're of the view and the opinion that a thousand people might want to see DJ Maporesa. Okay. But a hundred people might want to see DJ Bangy. Yes. And a thousand people can see DJ Maporisa anyway. Yes. Maporisa can perform anyway. 30 gigs in Gauteng, right. meaning you can see him anyway. You don't have to come to me to see him. But if I can tap into 10 people with a hundred people following, not only am I guaranteed those feet in the door, but I'm guaranteed access to a new market. Mm -hmm. It's that cross investment, right? Mm -hmm. So I've got the platform. If I open up my platform to you, it's not just to you as an artist, it's also to the people that support you, people who I might never have been able to reach. Yes. Or market to. Yes. So they're not coming to me per se, they're coming to see you. To see Bangy. Yes. But you're here now, and this is the greatest events company in the world. Right. And you're gonna love it, and you're gonna be back. Of course. Right? But we're also very pro Pretoria. Yeah. Because how do we grow Pretoria? Because if we grow Pretoria, we grow ourselves. Yes. The bigger Pretoria grows, the bigger it gets for, the bigger it gets for us. And so it was more about, so Artist on the Rise is a competition uh, you speak about. Yes. And we started Artist on the Rise for a number of reasons, including some of those that I've mentioned to you, but also in terms of unearthing new talent. So how do you become part of somebody's journey who you can cross leverage from? Because one thing we knew, we said, these guys aren't coming to save us. We weren't getting the sponsorship we should have been getting. Mm -hmm. We weren't getting the corporate support. You know, there's a lot of guys who come up and there's somebody there to help you, a family member, or you know, smang mangai. We didn't know anybody. So we said, we're going to build this thing ourselves. And you can't focus on yourself. you got to focus on everybody around you. So whilst you're helping the events organizers, what about the artists, this, whole, this entire ecosystem? Right. Service providers, guys who provide food, what not next? How do you build everybody around you so that we are not overly dependent on the external? So right. it's kind of like by the time you find us, find us put together. Yes. And yes. we then started tapping into that, but it was more the support we gave to these guys on a day-to-day -day basis. Because mm -hmm. it wasn't a you perform at our show and then... We forget you. No. It was, you perform at our show, hey, this guy's having a show, hey guys, I like take this guy. We, this guy. We, 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 we did a, a lot of consulting for Opikopi back in the day, and we were the first people to start bringing nobodies out, black nobodies, to Opikopi. Right, yeah, that was a very big moment, I can never forget that, the whole so, stage, yeah. you know, we... Big. I mean, I'm talking as early as 2013. Mm -hmm. We were putting guys on the Opikopi stage, but we weren't just putting, you know, Double H and Black Lairs and everybody at the time. We were putting whoever. If you were around us, you know, a lot of there's a lot of young artists who went to Opikopi before they went to any big show. Right. And it was us kind of saying, let's push, let's get this name out there. I remember there was a show in Pretoria, some guys were coming to us to a big show at the arena. And 
we we were up in arms about it and we said well you know you come and host a show here uh where's the locals and yeah, there was all these big names huge. i remember that yeah and we said and he said okay who do you want us to book and we send them the list we said devon gogo 25k focalistic venom banks and said yo who the hell are these people yes but listen to those names right and us fighting for them to be there was also part of their journey. Right. Because guys saw them, heard them, saw their impact, said, oh shit, it's like they that. Hey, yo, pull yeah. up, let's work. So you are so invested. If I look at Gogo, Gogo starting her career at 24 Tank, yeah. she used to practice. Massive. So she'd have the 11 o'clock slot just to practice. Practice, practice, until eventually, you know, her slot times would go higher and higher but when you look at that network now we get to leverage off of Gogo we get to leverage off of 25 we get to leverage off of Foca mm -hmm. we get to leverage off of anybody whose journey we've been a part of right right and so it's not even that people are in debt it's just that we're all part of each the other's family. story yeah, yeah, yeah and that's been part of what's helped to cement and grow Right. The company. So it was important that we did that and it's not something that continues till today. You mm. know, we, 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 we partner with people, we still because there's this misconception around marketing. Mm -hmm. That if you can sell marketing at the highest level, if you go out of home billboards and stuff, and I was asked the question, who does that speak to? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you got to speak to people's gotta be relatable, yeah. hearts, 100%. right? Somebody needs to see your, your tweet guard and say, hmm. Right. So I can promo my tweet for 10 million rand, but the question is, does it resonate? Right. And we have this thing in the company where we say, we do not do business with people and got it from Simon Sinek. Uh, we do not do business with people who want what we have. We do business with people who believe what we believe. Uh -huh. And that's what people respond to. People respond to co-belief, mm -hmm. trust, love. Mm -hmm. If you can show people love at a stage where you have no reason. You know, people looked at us like, oh, that's the great homecoming. And we looked at a focal, like, yeah, that's the great right. focalistic. And what it means at that stage of your career is never going to get lost on you mm -hmm. no matter how far you go. And that right. means wherever you're able to go, where the gap comes for us, you will take us with you, even if it's just saying our name in an interview. Right. But we're part of something greater and the city is stronger and this place is better. So even if we never benefit from you, but the city is strong. So what about Repaga Pitori? No, Pitori yes. is strong. If Pitori is strong socially, homecomings is it's still strong. in business. Yeah. And everything else that happens, Pitori is strong. It's, it's like a it's like a family. It's like a crazy thing. It's like a family where if I invest in my brother's business and he makes money, he can invest in my business at some point when I don't have the money. It's subsets, like, there's enough work for everybody. Yeah. The, the bigger the culture is, the more service providers we can get in, the more opportunities. Right. We can get in. So yeah, we've we we built our company on that ethos of family and that's why we had the internship program. Mm -hmm. I think next year marks ten years of our internship. 
right. program. And How does look, that work? So we started back then. Uh, and I'm only asking that, right? Yeah. Because I think it's, it's actually a conversation I wanted to have with you after this. Um, I, or we, as did find a challenge where I do want people to work with us, mm. right? However, I feel like we're at a point where I don't want any more, because obviously it's happened in the past when you're in the developing station for people to work for free. Mm. Um, I don't want it anymore. Why don't I want it? I think it sets a very negative narrative, especially if I want the brand to go in the direction where it develops people. Um, and where we're in a generation where the only development that people want is monetary. Um, they don't wanna they don't wanna have a conversation with you about how to be the next great guy. They want you to give money to actually be the next great guy. Sure. So how do you sit down and basically leverage these conversations and get to a position where you're able to allow someone to intern and to get paid? and to get the access that they get and the trust because obviously you're taking an intern into your company yeah. they're seeing the infrastructure of the company they're getting passwords to your company they're seeing how the company works they're interacting with money they're interacting with sponsors what is stopping them from, from waking up tomorrow thing. and being not fuck it i'm gonna just do my own thing and that, and those and those are the risks of business yes and there's people who, who, who won't get anywhere because that's all they're concerned about uh -huh the ifs and maybes, okay, right? So we started this thing, 2013, we mm -hmm. started an internship. Uli Ben Mazwi, who's a chartered accountant today. Tuli Kupilwe, mm -hmm. who's the head of Lork. Mm -hmm. uh, Chuck McCastle, who's a DJ. He's a big boy there by uh, Discovery. Askolo Mathare, Tembela Mkavela. These people, we started this thing with, and it's based on honesty. Right. Right. So if you're honest enough to say to people, this is what's actually happening here. What's happening here is at this stage of our lives, we are simply dealing with a dream. There's a dream. You guys are young, you're in school, we're looking for people to just, you know, make us cool on their campuses, whatever. We don't have much to offer. This is anything to offer. And so with honesty over the years, we're able to set a clear framework for what are you coming to do here. Okay. And so until eventually you move from stipends to honorariums. Right. Where you can eventually say, okay, monthly, this is what you're going to get. But the value add, and we've always treated our internship as a launch pad program. Right. So if I look at, you know, the Tulis, the Cooking with Luyandas, all those people who came through our internship uh, and where they are now, that was always the case. Say, look, we might not be able to give you a lot of resources, but tell us what your dream is. Let's see how we can make it work together. Oh, your dream is simply corporate? Let us reference you. Let us get you. We know people right. here, there. Your, yours is in, okay, how do we push you? And that honesty and that transparency helped us to run the internship. And so what you also then learn about the internship is when you're part of somebody's story, when they get a chance and an opportunity, to be part of yours in return, they're gonna do it without you asking. Yes. And so we've had a lot of people come out of the internship and come back and say, well, I'm head of this here, or I do this now, or I've got access to this. Mm -hmm. How do we 
move it together. Um, and yeah. I can't even remember what the initial point was why I brought up the internship, but yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. No, it's because you answered all my questions. Because my question is like, how do you bridge that gap? How do you jump over it? How do you, but now I get that how you jump that gap is by really having a conversation. You sit down and you really understand what the both of you can do with, for each other. Without so first, you have to like understand yourself. Yes. As a business, as a company as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. where am I what can I reasonably afford to do what can't I afford to do because you got to give people that option to say if you can't work for less than this you shouldn't be working here much as I'd love you to work here because the last thing I ever want us to argue or fight about is, is money 100% hate it so I'm honest with you I'm honest with myself about where I am and that's why there's certain people we can't even I can say, bang, you come work with us. And then I say, ah, I can't afford right. banks. But if you bring up the conversation, I say, oh, bang, I'd love to work with you, but I only have five rand. Right. And I'll probably only have five rand for the next 12 months. But if we can do one, two, three, four, five, it's going to allow us to get to 10 rand in the next fiscal. Right. And at the end of the fiscal, to be able to say to you, hey, bangy. We didn't really get 10 rand, but we have eight rand. COVID hit us, you know. Maybe we're not at five anymore, we're not even going up. Maybe we're at four or three, but if we push another six, this is what's in the pipeline in terms of what we've been working on, and we're going to end up at 15. Right. And the decision is yours to make, and that honesty and transparency... Is a key. ...solves the problem. Right. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. I got myself tangled You were just a failed rebellion Compared to other guys, you're on a billion You're the only one I put up on a pedestal You say we should be just friends But with you, it can never be platonic Cause every time I see you, I feel harder Happens really fast like I'm sonic We were meant to be Darling, can't you see? Oh, I hope that you will feel the same way It's hard to walk away I only did it cause you said that I shouldn't stay I ain't asked for much But you gave me everything I fought for every day I loved you more than anything the stars they stay in your eyes, the moon is jealous of your shine I know that I make you smile, so tell me why You and mine is hard Loving someone who don't love you back, I hope Next time I see you, I don't feel a thing, it's hard Loving someone who don't love you back, I hope Next time I see you, I don't feel a thing You say we should be just friends But with you, it can be platonic Cause every time I see you I feel harder It happens really fast Like I'm sonic We were meant to be
was this almost active entrepreneur, COVID. What are the effects of COVID and how did you guys navigate around them in order for you guys to still exist today? So, and I think one of the first things we said when we came out to the breakfast club was, there's no need to get ready if you stay ready. And our, our getting and our staying ready wasn't necessarily what we did during COVID. Mm -hmm. It's what we did all the years prior. Right. The investment is constant. It's not say COVID isn't whipping us. It's showing us dust, but right. we still, yeah, we haven't skipped a month of salaries because when COVID came and we realized there's even certain partners who we couldn't work with prior. Mm -hmm. But when COVID comes and there's regulations and there's everything in place and people's reputations are at risk, they start looking for the person they can trust. Yes. Because now it's not an open economy. It's not about new people. It's who do I know? Trust. It's who can I trust to protect my brand? 100%. Because sponsors aren't really, you know, mm -hmm. going out there. And if they're going to take a risk, there has to be 10 people in the room saying, if we're going to take a risk, we're going to take a risk with, that guy. with these guys. Right. Because these guys are going to protect because we don't do business with people who want what we have. Right. We do business with people who believe, that what, we believe. what we believe. Right. Because these guys believe in brand image. They believe in the law. They believe in compliance. We're going there. There. Right. And that's what saved us in COVID. Because when we came up, I mean, it's that. And also, you know, during COVID time, we came up with the Breakfast Club probably by April, mm -hmm. May. We'd already started conceptualizing guys when we come back. This we go. So or, you know, if they open restaurants. This is what's happening. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. This is how we're going to tackle it. And so by the time, in fact, before the president even announced that we were going uh, to a level where they would allow certain event, or 100 people or 50 people yeah. events, we'd already decided that restaurants are opening. We're going to do breakfast club. the breakfast club. Right. And, you know, from the breakfast club, then, you know, Sun City and then said, OK, POK. And these were relationships we built with Sun International prior. It's mm -hmm. kind of saying to entrepreneurs, Every day is a building day. Every day is an investment day. Every day is planning for a rainy day. Right. You need to be... That rhymed. Yeah. <laughs> you need to be consistent. You need to be reliable, dependable. People need to know. Because there's a lot of stuff... We've seen a lot of events close down. Mm. We've seen what people did with their money. Yes. I said, okay, that's fine. These bros, in any case, only they don't intend to be here for the long haul, but we intend to be here for the long haul. So we we'll always reinvest in ensuring that this is the most comfortable place, it's the safest place, right. no trouble with the law, da 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 da. And then a COVID comes and somebody's looking around and they're saying, This guy's never had any problem. These guys have never had any problem. Right. We're going to roll with these guys. Right. And so, so it's basically, so basically, the nutshell is doing what you need to do today so that in the future people know that you're the go-to guy for that you take in a care you build you build, the arc was built when the sun was shining yes right yeah <laughs> arc was built okay now sony you get into sony how do you get into sony were you headhunted why i'm asking <laughs> why i'm asking because obviously before sony you were already working with like a lot of artists yeah. that are big today and yeah. 
do you see, do you feel like it's maybe a conflict of interest in any way? Is it a conflict of interest? Where um, before even that that question, is it a conflict of is, uh, interest where the same artists that you're booking are the same artists that you're protecting? If you get what I mean. So look, I I started entertainment law consulting straight after my articles. Okay. In 2015. I, I went out to market alone. I saw the gap in the market, but I also knew how much education needed to go into training and teaching guys the importance of being legally represented. And I did that on my own dime. Okay. And I worked my ass off Okay. with these people. I invested a lot in a lot of artists, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. did a lot of work for free. And nobody questioned anything I was doing in the past six, seven years. Okay. Right? When we were getting Aries out of Ambitious, when we were getting Cubs out of his contract, when we were doing all these things for all these artists, nobody cared about, oh, but should you be representing guys that you book or... Uh Nobody cared. Nobody had anything... Got a point. To say, right? Right. So we work with all these guys, and there's a legal monopoly mm-hmm. at that time in the industry. There's a lot of older artists who exploited black artists, mm-hmm. and that's why we hear still about people dying poor. They exploit all these people through their white. Attorneys, right. say it. People say, oh, don't say it, be PC, whatever the case may be. There's a certain clique of people that were being used to... Right, do the same thing over and over again. And so we come in and we start breaking these things down and we start giving guys an alternative. Right. And our guys can't afford it, they don't understand it, so we're doing this for nothing. We're building, we're improving. When, we, when we're cleaning up the piano mess... Mm-hmm. Nobody was sitting there saying, oh, isn't it a conflict of interest that you mm. represent all these guys? So when, why we're, now? when we're solidifying the industry, making sure that everybody can now, unlike Kwaito, everybody in piano can actually make money and not die broke, poor. Right. There was no opinions. Right. There was no problems. I got headhunted by Sony. I know. I was going to go to the bar. <laughs> I can tell you how I know. Uh, like, it's, it's just no, it's a known thing. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. I mean, you don't look like a guy that's going to go hand in a CV, respectfully. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> You're going to the bar. I was going to the bar. A certain thing comes up, it's very important then for me. I mean, I, I only saw myself at the majors in my 40s. I'm right. 31 years old right now. I didn't quite see that as Flex. the time right yeah. now. No, <laughs> but I said to myself, I'm equal to the task. Why? Because I've taken Sony the full 90 minutes. Right. Legally. I've gone head to head with all the majors. Right. I've represented my clients. I represent, we represent at... Taylor made we you know when I was there and they still do now they represent for me a large majority of anybody who matters in South African music right now is represented by Taylor made and how did you do that before you go into everything else 
based on just the work, the work spoke for itself? We, we forced our way into people's legal. Okay. We had to go to people and say, let me do this. Let me prove myself. Let me show you why you I need can this. do this for you. And we'd run up the bullet, what it costs. Say, what I did for you cost 60,000 Rand. But, but you can give me pro 10. Pro bono, right. Oh, 10. I you know, you, pro bono, but oh, you size, makes sense. You, you makes size sense. them up. Yeah. You size. Who's it? Who's it? Ah, okay, bangy, come on, dog. Let's be true. Yeah. 10, yeah, 10 dog. 10, <laughs> yana, yana, but we did a lot of stuff, a lot of crazy stuff. We lived in that community. Right. I worked with people who left me and we left the company and said, no, nah, we, we're going to do this on our own. I said, you guys don't understand something. In order to service these people, you need to live with them. You need to understand them. Mm-hmm. The biggest disconnect in South African entertainment, entertainment law is that there's a huge gap between. So there's lawyers on one side, entertainers that side, and guys think, I'm just going to service you or charge you. It's like, I need to understand you. I need to understand how you think, why you think the way you think. And we did all of this work and nobody had a problem. Right. And you get hit hunted by Sony, and I respectfully hand in my resignations at homecoming. <laughs> we appoint a new MD. I respectfully <laughs> hand in my resignations at TaylorMade. We appoint a new MD. I really like how you guys appointed the new MD. That someone does an intern that kind of climbed the ranks. Yeah, yeah. Very so, commendable. Yeah. You can really clap my ass to that because it says a lot for people like myself where sometimes the people that you should be employing for certain positions are people that have shown themselves that they deserve the job. 100%. Very commendable. But if you, and, and, that's, and that's the thing about company culture, you need to develop it right. and teach it right. internally. Because those are the people that are going to carry it. They understand. So I can walk away from homecoming knowing the people that are there understand the homecoming culture. I don't have to worry about a new... Culture being started. 100%. Right. And so you get to Sony, and all of a sudden the questions kick, kick in. But what about the conflict of interest? What conflict of interest? For who? For Sony? The guys who employed me. Who headhunted me. The guys who, <laughs> who know because my employment contract is with Sony. Right. So Sony knows what's going on with me. Or for who? For tailor-made clients? Guys who I had to ask for permission. I asked for permission from all our artists. I said, guys, Sony wants me to come there. If any one of you says no, I can't go. Wow. But why did you do that? Because TaylorMade needs to outlive you, me. Right. And the job that TaylorMade does is far more important than anything I can go do at a major. Right. The service that they provide. And so we had to speak to each and every single person, say, here's who's going to take over. Are you comfortable with that? Mm-hmm. And they say, sure, we're comfortable with that. And, and I had to explain why I need to go to a major. And I explained this to them. Why? I explained it to them. Can you explain it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, explained, I, explained, I explained to the artists and I explained to my team and I explained to my family why I need to go to a major. I can't understand why. I'm glad. <laughs> in order to outlive a system, we need to know what happens inside. You have to understand. The problem is there's digital migration. There's so much going on. And it's happening on the run. And you, you don't get to go to school for that in Mzans. Yeah. So you need to be there to see it, to understand Inside, it. To actually to experience it. it 100%. And so they get it, right? 
and they're happy with who's servicing them now. But it's everybody else on the outside who's scared. And what are they scared of? I've got 13 years in entertainment, mm -hmm. living in this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Six years focused, specializing in legal. And everybody looks and says, that's way too much knowledge to take to a competitor. Hmm. And so they say, hmm, but isn't there a conflict of interest? I say, well, what's it to you? Hmm. If an artist from TaylorMade says, that's fine. Conflict of interest. Right. Now we're talking. That's, now that's a problem. But what do they know? They know my integrity. Right. We built this thing on integrity. And they know what your stance is, 100%. We built this thing on integrity where everything that's ever been done is in the best interest of an artist. Right. We've never centered ourselves. It's always been about the artist, what's in their best interest. And so the guys from TaylorMade will service them. And if they service them and they bring them to Sony, if I recuse myself or whatever the case may be, it's immaterial. They will always get the best deal wherever they go. Right. And that's why tailor-made clients are everywhere. Mm -hmm. But that's a tailor-made issue now. I'm at Sony. Why are you asking me about <laughs> a conflict of interest? I'm at Sony. Yeah. Ask me about Sony. That's dope. That's so mad. So do we plan on having a surgical summer? Absolutely. Yeah. But is it based on a conflict? No, it's based on the fact that I'm good at what I do. My company is good at what it does. And together, we're going to do magic. If people are scared about that, of course, yeah. let them rather say that. But don't say you know, there's yeah. a conflict of interest. Right. What is the conflict of interest? For who? You got to be able to speak on that. 100%. And you also got to be able to take the facts what they are. I work at Sony. So hopefully, and then work at TaylorMade. Right. Go talk to them. But yeah. don't talk to them because why are you talking to them? They've got their own clients. Right. So, no, there's no conflict of interest, I don't think. That's smooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, That's a very good answer. Very political. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I totally get it. So, um, guess we come to the end of the show. Mm. Got this thing called Inspiration 101, where you basically just need to tell us your daily mantras. What do you tell yourself? What do you live by? A couple of words. Doesn't have to be that deep. Like, I'm sure you tell yourself something in your head every day. What are you doing it for? Anything. Not necessarily what you're doing it for, but you have daily mantras. You have it. I don't have much of that, but I believe in sleep. <laughs> I believe in sleep with my whole heart. You're, you're not useful to your business. You're not useful to yourself if you're worn out. Okay. Put in the hours, put in the effort, but rest. Rest. Fresh mind, fresh legs, longer journey. Right. You got to know how to do it. Pace yourself and go. Man, there's nothing inspirational, man. You got to try to think of Look. anything inspirational. Let me, if I sum up my journey, Right. Be kind to your dreams. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Especially in our space, mm -hmm. it's very easy 
for your ego or your personality mm-hmm. to get fed mm-hmm. and for you to be more focused on yourself mm-hmm. right but it's the dream that's given you who you are this platform you go yes and once you feed this and you stop feeding the dream you're going to lose both 100% but if you keep the main thing main and you feed that and you focus on that and you nourish that this is always going to be there but you have to be kind to your dreams you have to nurture them you have to feed them you have to replenish them because they will get beaten battered you have to prune them they're going to go through dry seasons but if you take care of them you're always going to be fine right you go through a dry season you get but you'll always be sharp and if you're kind to your dreams you will know how to be kind to people you will know how to, you know how to move because if your dream is bigger than you and I think that's it mm. keep your dream bigger than you bigger than you keep the vision bigger than you for as long as it's bigger than you you're good you're good to go all right thank you so much for your time man thank you sir <sighs> ladies and gentlemen that was actually a really good conversation um we're at the end of this episode dead radio don't forget to subscribe turn on your not- notifications uh so that you know when we upload a new video but for me bang is dead and from my special guest you know special guest talk um thank you very much for tuning in man bra